And welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on Spotify. This is me, Warren Landis, and I'm your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And as usual, it is a great joy for me to uh, welcome you to the program. So happy that you're tuning in uh, for this exciting Bible study broadcast. Um, Many of you know that on the last broadcast, we actually launched our new study on the book of Romans. And uh, I've got a feeling we're going to be in the book of Romans for quite a few broadcasts, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> in fact, I think the last broadcast was 42 minutes, and we we didn't get past the first verse in uh, chapter 1. So I think this is going to be uh, one of those books in the Bible. It's going to take us a while to get through it, because there's a lot of deep stuff here in the book of Romans, stuff that we need to know. And uh, this is clearly um, a book to be studied by those who desire uh, spiritual meat. Not spiritual milk, but spiritual meat. Amen. <clears throat> so we're going to have a good time studying in this book of Romans. Uh, I know many Christians personally that consider Romans uh, to be among their favorite books that Paul wrote. And it's kind of interesting in our Bibles that the book of Romans follows the book of Acts because, you know, in the book of Acts, Paul finally makes it to Rome and he's getting an opportunity to minister the gospel in Rome, something that he's wanted to do for a long time. You know, a lot of people, as you know, keep a bucket list of things they want to do before they die. Well, on Paul's bucket list, he had this great desire to go to Rome. And now we come to the book of Romans. And uh, now it is interesting to point out that uh, the book of Romans is not the first epistle that Paul wrote. The first two epistles that Paul wrote, most Bible scholars believe, was First and Second Thessalonians. That was uh, the first epistle that Paul wrote. Uh, so we note that his epistles are not in chronological order. In fact, the Bible itself, in terms of the books that we have in our Bible, uh, we don't find that our Bible presents the books of the Bible in chronological order. Uh, for example, in the Old Testament, uh, we typically view uh, the book of Genesis as the first book of the Old Testament. Therefore, you would think, well, this must be the oldest book in the Old Testament. But actually, many Bible scholars believe the book of Job was uh, the oldest book and that it took place sometime around the time that Abraham lived. So uh, the book of Job, for example, if that's the case, the book of Job took place before Moses was even born. So that's a very interesting point. Uh, now, if you go into different Christian bookstores, and, and especially if you look at different online Christian bookstores, uh, it's interesting to note that many uh, Christian bookstores today are no longer located in a brick-and-mortar building. Most Christian bookstores now operate online. It's uh, a lot cheaper that way and more efficient to get uh, Christian books and recordings distributed that way. Um, but if you look at the average Christian bookstore online, you're going to notice that um, there are any number <laughs> of Bibles that you can get that are actually published in chronological order. There you can study the Bible in the order that the different books of the Bible were written and published and uh, makes for an interesting study. But now, looking at Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, we noted yesterday that Paul sees himself as a servant. Paul sees himself as a servant. Let's take a look at verse 1 and read it just a moment. 
says Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God. Now, um, one of the things we note here is that Paul saw himself as a servant, a humble servant. Now, that's different from the way a lot of preachers view themselves today. Many preachers today see themselves not as humble servants. They see themselves as rock stars, VIPs, uh, TV stars, TV celebrities, and that's so sad because that's not how God intended for the preacher to be. The preacher is first and foremost a humble servant. A humble servant. Uh, as a preacher of the gospel myself, and I am an ordained Southern Baptist minister, been ordained since 1979. I've been licensed to preach since 1974. And I can tell you that as a preacher of the gospel, um, I see myself as a humble servant. I see myself as one in which I'm not anybody special. I'm just one person who says, you know what, I love God and I want him to take complete, full control of my life. I see myself as a servant. Uh, I always get leery when today's preachers say they're not going to do certain things because it's beneath their calling. <laughs> you know, uh, I knew this one preacher, I mean, he was not just a senior pastor of the church, but during the week, you know, he was basically a lot of other things. He was the janitor, you know, he was the maintenance man. Uh, I remember one time in this particular church, they had a plumbing problem and he was able to fix it and... Then the following week, they had some electrical issues, and he was able to fix that. You know, as a preacher, you see yourself as a servant, and you see yourself as not being unwilling to do anything in the church that needs to be done. Now, in many small churches, and, and most of you that are going into the ministry, most of you that are going into the ministry need to realize that your first church is not going to be a 10,000-member church. It's not going to be the First Baptist Church of Dallas. They already have a pastor. The first church that you pastor is going to be a church that is small, probably no more than 30 or 40 members, and, you know, that's what your first church is going to look like. <laughs> and in that setting, you're going to have to be willing to do anything and everything that comes along. You're going to have to maybe be willing to mop the floors and take out the trash, maybe do some maintenance work, possibly mowing the lawn. Uh, because in many small churches, you're going to be the only person in the church that gets a paycheck. And all of this stuff you're going to be expected to do. Now, it's great if you can enlist volunteers to help you do some of this stuff. That would be great. But you have to see yourself as a humble servant in order to be what God wants you to be in the ministry. Now, you know, some ministers, you know, they go to seminary, they get a master's degree, and they get a doctorate degree. And when they get a doctorate degree, especially, a lot of times they say, I'm not going to do that. I've got a doctorate degree. It's beneath my pay grade to do that. Well, <laughs> I take the position as a preacher of the gospel. Nothing's beneath my pay grade. <laughs> uh, and by the way, for the record, I don't get paid a cent for doing this broadcast. I don't get paid one shiny penny for doing this broadcast. I do it for only one reason, and that is the fact that I love God and I love you guys. That's why I do what I do. And so anything that gets done around here at Sunshine USA, I'm the one that does it because there's nobody else on staff for me to delegate it to. Amen. 
So just keep that in mind. Now, the other thing that Paul does here in this first verse, he defends his apostleship. In fact, uh, this is something that Paul has to do all throughout his ministry. He has to defend his apostleship. There were many people in Paul's day who did not consider him to be a true preacher of the gospel. They knew him to be a persecutor of Christians. And as such, they believed that um, uh, Paul was simply trying to infiltrate the church, infiltrate the Christian movement so that he could find out where more and more Christians were so he could put them in prison and have them put to death. So many people never ever really considered Paul to be a preacher of the gospel. So Paul finds himself frequently having to take time in his ministry to um, defend his apostleship. To defend his apostleship. That's what he has to do. And he makes no bones about it. You know, he's called of God to preach and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was saved on the road to Damascus. And of course, Christ himself had to show Paul the many things that he would have to suffer as a follower of Christ. Now, by the way, that's an interesting point because, you know, when you became a Christian, I hope you didn't get saved with the idea that the rest of your life is going to be honky-dory. Not at all. <laughs> um, in fact, as a Christian, you're going to have problems other people don't have. When you get saved and you become totally sold out to God, let me tell you something, folks. God is going to give you a hard time. He is going to give you a hard time. When you get saved, Satan is going to fight you. I think that's what I meant to say. I, did I say something else? I, <laughs> sometimes my tongue gets in front of my eye tooth and I can't see what I'm saying. But Satan is going to give you a hard time when you're totally sold out to God. That's what I meant to say. It's not easy. Uh, if you go into the ministry, I want you to know there's a lot of easier stuff you could do that frankly pay a lot better too. Because when you go into the ministry, you need to know that it's going to be hard at times. Now, I don't mean to say that there's not going to be good times as well. Uh, I can tell you as a Christian, I have a bunch of fun. <laughs> I find enjoyment in the simplest of things a lot of times. But then, I know that as a Christian, uh, I have my share of heartaches. And one of these days I won't have heartaches anymore because, you see, I'm going to be moving into my heavenly mansion. Amen. I'm going to be moving into my heavenly mansion. And folks, let me tell you, when that happens, I can hardly wait. Amen. You know, when I think about uh, being reunited with uh, Christians that I've known in the past, when I get reunited with Christian family members, former pastors. Man, I get excited. Most of all, I get excited when I think about meeting Jesus and Paul and some of the other characters of the Bible. I get excited moving into the heavenly mansion. I've never lived in a mansion. Now, I love the apartment that I'm living in right now. It's one of the nicest apartments I've ever lived in, and I might add the cheapest. But it's nowhere near as nice as that heavenly mansion I'm going to be moving into one of these days. Amen. So that's a look there at a recap of that first verse. I always like to spend some time on every uh, program reviewing what we did on the previous one. Then Paul says, in verse 2, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So we find 
that the gospel was promised by Old Testament prophets. In other words, we find that Jesus is prophesied in the Old Testament. The fact that Jesus would die on the cross for our sins. The fact that, um, you know, he would resurrect from the grave on the third day. (laughs) The fact that he would ascend into heaven. All of this was forecast in the Old Testament. You know, this is not something new that we come across in the New Testament. It was predicted in the Old Testament. And that's why I, I, I maintain that you can't really understand the New Testament fully and completely until you come to a thorough understanding of the Old Testament. You know, you have um, Moses, of course, giving us uh, the Ten Commandments. Of course, we have people today that want to try to make a big deal of the fact that the Ten Commandments don't apply to us uh, because that was law and we're under grace. But I've got news for you. (laughs) The Ten Commandments do apply to you. For example, uh, murder. Would you say murder is still a sin? Absolutely. And not only is murder a sin, it is a crime. You go out here and commit a murder, you're going to spend the rest of your life in prison, and you might even find yourself facing the death penalty. What about stealing? Thou shalt not steal. Stealing is still a crime today, and it's also a sin against God. God lets us know in the Ten Commandments that he wants to be number one. That was true in the day of Moses, and it's still true today. God wants to be number one. Committing adultery was a sin in the day of Moses, and it's still a sin today. So if you think the Ten Commandments no longer apply to us today, those of us who are Gentiles, then let me tell you, think again. It does apply to us. And then when Jesus comes along, for example, on the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus talks to us about the true meaning of the Ten Commandments. He talks about the application of the Ten Commandments. In fact, Jesus himself said, I have not come to do away with the law, but rather I have come to fulfill the law. So we find that the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, it was all forecast in the Old Testament. Let's uh, read on, verse 3. Concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh. So we find that Jesus comes to us through the seed of David. Once again, this is all forecast in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the New Testament. That's why I say you can't really fully understand the New Testament until you come to a thorough understanding of the Old Testament. Amen. Verse 4, And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. So we draw attention to the resurrection of Christ in verse 4. And once again, the resurrection of Christ was predicted in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament. Now, the resurrection of Christ is, by the way, a very central doctrine of the Bible. Because if Christ be not raised, we have no hope. 
but because of the fact that Christ rose up from the grave on that third day, we too have the hope of eternal life. We have the expectation of eternal life. Because just as Christ is going to be alive forever, even so we are going to be alive forever. You see, a thousand years from now, your soul will still be alive somewhere, either in heaven or hell. You see, I believe that everybody has a big decision to make. And that big decision is this, what are you going to do about God? You have to decide. And in fact, in light of eternity, nothing is more important than your decision to either accept Christ or reject Christ. Because you see, there's only two places where you can spend eternity. One place is that wonderful, exciting place that the Bible calls heaven. And the other one is that horrible place, that terrible place that the Bible calls hell. And let me tell you something, folks. Hell is real. And people are busting hell wide open every day. And that's why I get on the Internet and I preach the gospel and teach the Bible. Because I want to keep as many people from going to hell as I possibly can. For me, that is what my life is all about. And I'm trying to preserve my ministry in such a way so that even when I die, whenever that time comes, now I hope the Lord gives me many more years in order to preach the gospel. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, I want to make sure that as long as I live, and even after the Lord calls me home, that I continue telling other people about Jesus Christ. And that how Jesus Christ loved them so much that he was willing to die on Calvary's cross. Now the cross was important because that's where Christ shed his blood for our sins. But the cross would have been a a, a defeat and the cross would have been a terrible thing had it not been for the resurrection. Had Christ not rose up from the grave. Amen. Amen. Then we come to verse 5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. In other words, through Jesus, Paul says we receive grace, and in Paul's case, he receives his apostleship. Now, once again, here we have Paul defending his apostleship. He wants to make sure that people understand that he is an apostle. Now, that brings us to a pretty good discussion question at this point, and that is, do we have apostles today? Now, I do know that some churches refer to their senior pastor as an apostle. But does that mean we have apostles today? And my answer is going to surprise many of you. I do not believe that we have apostles today. Because you see, there were certain powers and abilities that were given to the apostles that we as Gentile Christians today do not have. For example, because Paul was an apostle, he had the power to heal. He even had the power to raise people from the dead. And the other disciples, they had this power too as apostles. But when the last of the original apostles die in the New Testament, the period of apostles came to an end. We don't have apostles today. I mean, if you're sick, I will love you, I will pray for you, I will do anything and everything for you I can. But I cannot heal you. To me, 
Only one person can heal you, and that one person is Jesus Christ. And I'll be honest with you, I've never raised anybody from the dead. I've never raised anybody from the dead. Because I'm not an an apostle in the way that Paul was an apostle. I have no apostolic authority. Uh, For example, when Paul was shipwrecked in the Mediterranean Sea on his way to Rome, and they landed on this island, you'll recall that Paul was bitten by a snake. And at first, everybody thought, well, you know, Paul must be a notorious sinner because God is going to see to it that he dies. He didn't get killed at sea, so now the Lord's going to use a a snake to kill him. But when Paul was able to cast that snake into the fire and the people saw that Paul was not dead, they realized, hey, (laughs) this is a man who's supernatural. Some of the people then went to the extreme. They started worshiping Paul as God, but he wasn't a God either. But he did have apostolic authority. He had authority over that snake. Now, by the way, um, if you want to write to me or email me, like I say, I have two email addresses. One is warrenlandis at yahoo.com. The other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com. If you want to email me and ask me uh, to give you some more information about what it was to be an apostle, I'll be glad to share that with you. And if you want me to share with you why I don't believe we have apostles today, I'll be glad to share that with you. Uh, I'm not going to take any more time on this program to talk about why I don't believe we have apostles today. That's a very lengthy subject in many ways, and I I don't want to get into that at this time. But like I say, Paul was an apostle. I am not an apostle, but nonetheless, God has called on me to preach and to proclaim his gospel. And I want to be faithful to the task. I want to be faithful to the task that the good Lord up above has given to me. Okay, now let's uh, read on. We come next to verse number six. Among whom are ye also? The called of Jesus Christ. The called of Jesus Christ. Now that's something that we do have in common with Paul. Paul was among the called of Jesus Christ. And Paul even goes on to say that you believers in Rome, you too, are among the called of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 7, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we as believers are number one, beloved of God. God loves you more than you'll ever know. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And God has a wonderful and exciting plan for your life. That's something very important to consider. We also know that like Paul and like the believers in Rome, we can be referred to as saints. (laughs) If you want to refer to me as St. Warren, I'm St. Warren. I'm born again. I know Jesus Christ is my Savior, so I can call myself a saint. In fact, I think one time I preached a sermon called Saints is so much more than just a football team. Those of you that are NFL fans, you know that New Orleans has an NFL team called the New Orleans Saints. 
But that's not to be confused with sainthood as defined in the Bible. And let me tell you, not all NFL players are saints. Some NFL players are far from it. But we as Christians, we can correctly call ourselves saints in light of what the Bible teaches. And then we come to verse 8. Paul says, first, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. At this point, Paul is writing this obviously long before he ever goes to Rome. And this maybe helps explain part of his desire to go to Rome. He says, you know what? Your faith in God, it is known throughout all the world. Now, by the way, Rome was not an easy place to be a Christian. In fact, many Christians were actually run out of Rome because of the fact that they were Christians. Many Christians fled Rome to escape great persecution. It was not easy to be a Christian in Rome. And yet Paul says, your faith in God is known throughout all the world. One thing that persecution will do for you as a Christian, it will make you stronger in the Lord. Because if you're going through trials and tribulation, if you're going through a time of great persecution, you're going to be cream that rises to the top. You're going to find that that persecution leads you to become a stronger Christian. Because let me tell you something, when you get to the point that you're even willing to die for your faith, when you get to the point where you're even willing to die for your faith, then let me tell you, you are going to find yourself strong in the Lord, victorious in the Lord. Okay, let's read on. Verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayer. Verse 10, making requests, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. Verse 10. Now verse 10 lets us know how deeply Paul wanted to come to Rome long before he ever came to Rome. Going to Rome to preach the gospel was something that for a long time was on Paul's bucket list. It was on Paul's bucket list of things to do. Paul wanted to go to Rome in order to preach and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now the good news is, God gave him that opportunity to go to Rome. Now he didn't travel to Rome quite the way he wanted to. He went to Rome as a prisoner. He went to Rome in chains, but yet the Lord gave him ample opportunity while in Rome. And when we know that either he had one long imprisonment lasting for a couple of years or else he had a couple of incarcerations, which might have been over a three or four year period. So Paul had ample opportunity in Rome to preach and proclaim the gospel, and I believe that Paul had enough liberty to go as far west during that time as what is now known as the country of Spain. Going to Spain was another country that Paul wanted to visit on his bucket list, even though Spain was not called Spain back in those days. It was called by another name, but, but that's where Paul wanted to go. And I believe that Paul had at least a brief opportunity to travel as far west as Spain. 
But in writing this letter to the Romans, Paul lets it be known that he has a great love for the believers there in Rome, and he has this burning desire to go to Rome just as soon as God permits it. Now, there was a long period in his life where he wanted to go to Rome, but God wouldn't allow the circumstances to allow him to go to Rome. In other words, he didn't get to go to Rome until God was ready for him to go to Rome. Amen. And of course, I don't want to do anything as a Christian today. I don't want to do anything before it's God's will for me to go. And if it's God's will for me not to go somewhere, that's somewhere I don't want to go. Amen. Okay. Verse 11, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. That is, that I might be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and of me. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come to you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. In other words, what Paul is saying here <laughs> is I had desired to come to you long before now. Long before now, I had this great burning desire to come to you, but the Lord would not let me. But now, <laughs> I think the time is near when God will allow me to do so. Now, bearing in mind, Paul is writing all of this before he gets the opportunity to go to Rome. Now, of course, he doesn't realize that God, in answering his prayer to go to Rome, is also going to allow him to go to Rome as a prisoner, as an inmate. But you know, it's kind of interesting. I don't think the Romans ever felt there was much of a case against Paul, which is why I believe they gave Paul as much liberty as he did, as he got. For example, uh, after that shipwreck and they finally arrived in Paul, the other prisoners that Paul was with were turned over to the captain of the guard. And no doubt they were headed for maximum security custody. But Paul was not among them. We find that the centurion kept Paul back and allowed another soldier to look over Paul. So yes, technically, Paul was still in custody. He was still a prisoner, but not as much incarcerated as the others. which in turn gave Paul great liberty to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you know, of course, when the book of Acts comes to an end, we find that Paul has rented a house. He rents this house for about two years. And while living in that house, he has great liberty to witness to all that came to him. Now, bearing in mind, when Paul was a prisoner, usually... Uh, one of the Roman soldiers was chained to him or handcuffed to him. And they stayed handcuffed to Paul until the next one came on duty. And so Paul saw this as a great opportunity to witness to that soldier. He had what we would call today a captive audience. That, that soldier couldn't turn a deaf ear. That soldier had no choice but to listen to Paul. And I believe that many of the soldiers that guarded Paul as a prisoner, I believe many of them probably got saved. Maybe not all at once, maybe not all at one time, but over a period of time, I believe that many of them, though not all of them, got saved and came to know Christ as Savior. We're told in that last chapter of Acts, Paul rented that house, 
And he preached the gospel to everyone that came in unto him. And he wasn't hindered in the work that he was doing for the Lord. Once again, this is because of the fact that Paul had great authority and great liberty as a prisoner of the gospel. Okay, now, let's uh, go on and uh, read a little bit further here. Paul says, I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. He says in verse 15, For as much as in me is, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to those of you that are in Rome also. Once again, this is Paul making reference to the fact I'm ready to come. And just as soon as the door opens for me to come to Rome, I'm coming. And he did go to Rome. Like I say, not the way he wanted to go to Rome, but the Lord allowed him to go to Rome and gave him an extended period of time there to preach and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, we read, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. First of all, in verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. <laughs> Now that's quite a contrast to the life that Paul once lived. What kind of life did Paul live at one time? He lived as a man who was persecuting Christians, having Christians put to death, having Christians thrown into prison. But now here is Paul saying, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, he goes on to say, For it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul says, in other words, the gospel has power. The gospel has power. That's why I consider myself a successful preacher. The Bible tells us that God's word will not return unto him void. And so I know wherever the word of God is proclaimed, wherever the word of God is taught, wherever the word of God is preached, there is power. In my lifetime, I could tell you story after story about how people at one time that I knew were living far from God. They were living very wicked, sinful lives. And then they got saved. And after they got saved, their life was totally different. Just as the Lord was able to transform the life of Paul so that he went from being a persecutor to being a preacher, God has the power to transform your life. You might say, well, God, uh, Warren, you don't know what kind of life I've been living. You don't know some of the evil, sinful stuff I've done. And you're right, I don't know. But I can tell you God knows, but in spite of what God knows, God loves you, and God has an exciting plan for your life. You just have to be willing to turn your life over completely to him. Amen. We're getting into some good stuff here. And then at the end of verse 17, Paul makes the statement, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Faith is a wonderful thing. Faith means that I trust God. 
I don't know what God knows. I don't see what God sees, but I trust God. If God tells me to do something, I know that God is going to give me the power to do it. There's not a doubt in my mind about that. Amen. You see, uh, this thing of faith in God, it's a matter of saying, Lord, I trust you. And Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. And I do that confident that God will supply the need for anything that he wants me to do. Those of you that are preparing for uh, seminary or college, God's called you into the ministry. And you might be thinking to yourself, I, I, I don't know if I can afford college or seminary. I always say, do what you can do. You know, it might be that you don't have enough money to go to college or seminary. But that doesn't mean God can't use you in the ministry. Now, believe it or not, as important as I think education is, and I do think education is important, by the way, but I also think some people are educated beyond their intelligence. Amen. I think some people are educated beyond their intelligence. But God will allow you to get whatever level of education he desires for you to have, and he'll supply the financial needs to do it. Now, one thing I do not believe in, I do not believe in going head over heels in debt to go to college. Instead, I believe if God wants you to go to college, if God wants you to go to seminary, then he is going to supply you with the money that you need to go to seminary or to go to college. It might be that he gives you enough money to, to at least start seminary, but maybe not finish. But God will finance whatever level of education he desires for you to have. And by the way, some of the best preachers I've ever heard have no seminary training whatsoever. There are some preachers out there, I honestly believe, if they had ever gone to seminary, it would have wrecked their faith. I mean, seriously, I think it would have wrecked their faith. But God will allow you to get whatever degree of education he wants you to have, and he'll supply the means to do it. There's no need to go twenty or $30,000 in debt for an education. We have young people today that are graduating from college, and they're going to be paying for that college education till the day they die. And even when they die, their college education may still not be fully paid for. I don't think that's the will of God. I think God will give you the money that you need to go as far in education as he wants you to go. That's what I call walking by faith, living by faith. Faith means that I believe that God is going to do it. I don't see how he's going to do it. I don't understand how he could possibly do it. But by faith in God, I believe God's going to do it. Uh, many of you that have kept up with my ministry in recent years, you know that I have a number of health problems. But I, I fully believe that God can heal me. Sometimes I don't understand how he will heal me. But I know that if it's God's will for me to be healed, he will heal me. Amen. Praise the Lord. And uh, I think we're at a decent stopping point here. Like I say, obviously we're not uh, finishing today with chapter 1. Because there's much too much stuff here to do chapter 1 in a single broadcast. So next time we'll start with uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 18. Like I say, um, I could tell that we're going to be in, book, in the book of Romans for a long time. 
In fact, we might spend a long time just in the first chapter of Romans. Amen. And that's the beautiful thing about this ministry. I could teach uh, as long as God wants me to teach, and then I could pick up on the next broadcast. Amen? Amen. Well, uh, if you have any Bible study questions, if you have any prayer requests, all you have to do is let me know. Um, I have two email addresses. One is warrenlandis at yahoo.com. The other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com. If you want to contact me by snail mail, that's the old-fashioned way, the old-school way, you can contact me that way. My snail mail address is warrenlandis, 80 Thruston Street, that's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. Now, by the way, that apartment number is very important because if you don't put the apartment number on there, I won't get it. Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. And like I say, I always look forward hearing from each of my radio listeners. I mean, seriously, I, I look forward to all of the radio listeners that the Lord has given me. And uh, this is truly the highlight of my day when I get that opportunity to get in front of this radio microphone and preach unto you the gospel of Jesus Christ and teaching you the Bible. And I look forward to doing it again next time as well. Now, by the way, if you enjoy listening to Sunshine USA, I can assure you that you probably know someone else that would also enjoy listening to this broadcast. And I hope that you'll invite them to tune in and listen, because it could change their life. Well, until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you, and don't fret none, because guess what, folks? I'm going to see you next time on Sunshine USA.